0: All right, so last week as we read this really big section uh, of the book of Ephesians. Sorry, I'm taking this off. Um, I don't know why I keep wearing them. Um, as we were in the book of Ephesians, we read this really big section. And last week as I read, it was, it, was kind, it was a really exciting section. Like throughout it, I kept feeling like somebody should be yelling, Amen, or praise the Lord, or something like that. As, as I read today's, there, there were far fewer sections where I expected the same thing. It didn't have the same kind of uplifting challenge. And it's important to remember that when this letter was delivered to the church in Ephesus, the entire thing came together. And it didn't have any of the numbers or, or breakdowns that our passage had. Numbers that define where a chapter begins or where a verse begins. It didn't have any of the subtitles that we see that, that section off different areas of the text. This came as one letter. And it would have been someone's responsibility to come before the church that was gathered and to read to them the letter beginning to end. All the way through. Because for them, this was one letter, one teaching... One unit that belonged together that, that walked through a progression of what was happening. So someone would have come and they would have read the entire thing. Now we've added numbers and subtitles and all of these things. And let's be honest, it makes it a whole lot easier to read. A whole lot easier for us to find our place or find where we're supposed to be or read together or be on the same page as we all are looking at different copies of it. Even as we look at different translations, sometimes the only way we can catch up is when we see the number and go, oh, they must be there. Because it kind of sounds like this, even though mine sounded totally different. And and that keeps us on the same page and on the same track. And and, and I'm not necessarily saying that the numbers or the subtitles are 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 bad. Only that... When we break it up in little bits and pieces, in little sections, it is possible that it does damage to the broader context of what is going on. Take the section we read today. As I read it several times this week, as I read it again today, it sounds incredibly legalistic. Like there are all these rules for what you're supposed to do and not supposed to do. There are all these behaviors for the way that, that we're supposed to behave as the church, as Christ followers. And and as I read it, I saw the rules. I saw the do this and the don't do that and do this and don't do that and behave this way and not that way. And it even says at one point in there, don't let anyone try to tell you that this is not exactly the way that you're supposed to behave. And as I kept reading through bits and sections, I thought, wow, this sounds so Stiff. And in fact, this section and different pieces of this section and different verses throughout this section have been taken from time to time. And they have been used to create divisions and battle lines and struggles among groups of Christians or groups of churches or even denominations only a few years ago. Our gathering of churches, Southern Baptist friends, decided that they would take one verse out of this and they would make that one verse our rallying cry. And they got really, really bad press for it. Not just from the media and secular press, but from churches who were going, wait a minute, when that one verse is our rallying cry, you miss all the important stuff that surrounds it. Because that one verse by itself was a distorted rallying cry. If we take just this section or just one part of this section, I imagined some of you in your faces that I read the part about husbands and wives. As we take just that piece and we read it together, it too by itself is a distorted rallying cry. Now, that doesn't mean that it isn't valuable for instruction, that we can't use it from time to time for instruction by itself, that we can't even use portions of it and and make one verse or one part of a verse a rallying cry, especially when that one verse speaks to the whole. But when we take just one verse and we make it our rallying cry, just because we like that one verse, it's a distorted rallying cry. It's a distorted view of what's going on in Scripture. Scripture. An example I thought about this morning as I was reading back through this there is a verse in the scriptures I can't even remember uh, chapter and verse or even what book it's in for that matter but all it says in this one verse is beware of dogs. Now that's not at all what the scriptures have to say or are interested in but it says beware of dogs. So if we wanted, we could use that verse alone and I could try and convince Callie we shouldn't have our dog anymore because the Bible says there's something wrong with dogs. Beware of dogs. That's not what the passage is about. And even when we do the same things with things that we know aren't so blatantly supposed to stand by themselves, we end up with a very distorted view of what we're supposed to be gathering. Imagine a, a work of art. I wish I'd had one and then I'd taken the time to create this. But imagine that, that there's this great big picture and it's up here in front of us. And, and let's say it's three feet wide and it's four feet high and we're looking at it and we're admiring it. However, I've taken the entire picture and blanked out every bit of it except a one inch by one inch square. And I want you to look at that one square. Now that square may be beautiful. It's it's possible that the colors that are in it and the picture that is there is incredible. But until we invite the rest of the work of art in, until we take the covering down and see the entire thing, that one square, as beautiful as it may be, as wonderful a story as it may tell, it is a distorted image of what the artist was working for. So we're supposed to take the scriptures and understand that that this section, and not just this section, but the entire scope of the scriptures. We end up with just as distorted a rallying cry when we take one section, or one book, or one part, or one section of books and say, this is all that we're going to focus on. When we do so, we end up with a distorted rallying cry because we're supposed to see the whole thing. The whole thing as one beautiful work of art, as one story that is brought together and incorporated in together so this morning i want to try and do that with the section we read i want to I want to zoom out a bit imagine it is that one inch and we'll zoom out a bit and we're going to try and look at the whole work of art and see what it is that perhaps we can see in that if we don't read it with the wrong skew because we read it by itself And at the same time we do so, I want to do so with these commitments we've been talking about. These three commitments, we want to take a zoomed out view of them and understand what it means for them to to be working in cooperation. So we've added these to our constitution. Let me read them to you again. The first two we've looked at the last couple weeks. The third one we're introducing today, they say this. The first is whole life discipleship. Through practicing spiritual disciplines, growing in knowledge and faithfulness to Christ's likeness, and adopting a way of life that encourages becoming all God has created each member to be, or each of us to be, each person to be, honestly, is our goal in that. Investment in the Valley family. Through sacrificial giving of time, talents, and finances. We talked about that last week. And today's is missional living among our neighbors and the nation's. Through serving others, praying for others, sharing faith, and seeking other opportunities to show the love of Christ. So we ask that those of us who have decided that this is the body that we want to journey in faith with. This is the people we want to journey towards spiritual transformation with. We usually call that discipleship. Discipleship is that spiritual journey from knowing nothing about God to being a faithful follower of Christ. And when we say this is the people that we want to do that with, we ask that we all make a commitment to these three ways of living together. To commit that as an individual, to commit that to one another, to the family, and ultimately to make that commitment before God that that's who we will be. Now reality is each of them is significant alone. Each of them important alone. Each of them vital to what we believe we have been called to do, which is to make disciples as family on mission. Each of them matters in that. But when we zoom in on just one, which we sometimes have a tendency to do, we miss the reality that it requires all three for us to be doing what we've been called to do. None of them alone is all that needs to happen in the life of a Christ follower. None of them alone is what it means for us to be church. As a matter of fact, any one of them by ourselves make us something far different than the church. Good, perhaps, but not the church. It requires this bringing together of the three, this zooming out and realizing that the picture that we're supposed to get is a picture of these three working in cooperation together. So Ephesians, which reads more legalistic, this section, now last week's didn't, but this section, which reads a bit more legalistic because it's filled with do's and don'ts and rules that mandate behavior. When we come at it with the wrong bent, with the wrong slant, with the wrong view, we end up back at this place of believing that our primary pursuit is just some form of religious Christianity rituals and rules, do this and don't do that, follow this rule and don't break that rule. But if we're willing to zoom out, if we're willing to take the appropriate look at it, we actually get a different slant on it, realizing that this is still calling us into the place of relationship with Jesus. and It's not about religiosity. It is about a relationship with the Savior. But on its own... It can lead any one of us to believe that the focus of our faith is right behavior. The entire attention intention is right behavior. We are, if we behave appropriately, we're, we're Christians. And while behavior is important, it is even the commitments we've asked you to. Our behaviors we've asked you to take on. The goal, the focus of our faith is not behaviors. It's not the, the dominant call of this letter. It's not the dominant call of Paul throughout the scriptures. It's not the dominant call of Christ. If you remember, as we talked about whole life discipleship by itself, we talked about spiritual practices that we use, ways in which we interact with Christ, and how we needed to move away from the understanding that those were simply religious rules or practices Responsibilities. And instead that they were opportunities for us to be in relationship with the Savior. They weren't just about doing right things. But they were about being in the presence of the Savior. Being in Christ's presence brings transformation. And according to the scriptures, behavior Comes from our being in the presence of Christ. Not the other way around. It's not the, the doing that comes before being. We are in the presence of Christ and transformation is what comes out of that. Our practices come from our deep desire to be with the Savior. Transformation comes because the Holy Spirit is transforming us as we sit in the presence of God. As we sit in the presence of Christ and the reality is this is not only about us as individuals. Yes, Jesus wants to change my life. Yes, Jesus wants to change your life, but it is bigger than us. Several times over the last few weeks we've quoted Robert Mulholland and in his book, Invitation to a Journey, he says this, Spiritual formation is a process of being conformed to the image of Christ for the sake of others. We aren't conforming, we are being conformed. The Holy Spirit is doing this work in us. Did you catch that in the Ephesians passage? Chapter 4, verse 23, it says this, it says, instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. It's out of the work of the Holy Spirit that change happens, not the other way around. Not because we desire or we fight hard or we work hard. It's because in the presence of Christ, the Holy Spirit brings out newness and new life and transformation and new things happen. And yet, it doesn't stop. ...with individual transformation. As Mulholland's quote said, bring that up again, that quote from Mulholland for me. As Mulholland's quote said, it says that spiritual formation is is why? The very end, for the sake of others. It's bigger than us. It is bigger than me, it is bigger than you. The Holy Spirit is changing us, is bringing new life in us, is bringing transformation in us for the sake of... Of the body of Christ, the bride of Christ, the church. Which is why the second commitment that we ask from one another is investment in the family. The idea that we come together on this spiritual journey with others who are journeying forward. And we walk together in faith. We are gifted to be a part of this. We are gifted the chance to be full participants. And the scriptures tell us that we are literally given gifts. Or graces that cooperate together, that work together, that bring in us this, this need for each other. It, that fosters unity, that creates dependence. Sorry, I got hair in my mouth. We are dependent on one another. <clears throat> we need each other to fully be who we're called to be. As we talked last week about people being here, and I even had people come at the end of the service with these kind of guilt issues, which we all kind of wrestle with. Of, but I have to be away next week, and what am I supposed to do? Because you said we need to be here. The, the, the point is not guilt. I said that last week, but it doesn't matter. We, we have to have it somehow drilled into our brains that the point is not guilt. The point is the body of Christ and understanding the reality that we are in some way deficient when you and your gifts aren't present. In our midst. That doesn't mean we won't miss from time to time. That doesn't mean we won't be away from time to time. But that does mean that we're thinking about what it means to be interacting with the body, not just on Sunday mornings, that's part of our problem, but as often and as frequently as possible because we need the gifts of one another to fully function as the body of Christ. We are created to need each other in that way. And yet, this idea of for the sake of others is still not finished. Because if we stop at the idea of the family, which is what we often do, what we as Valley does, what churches tend to do all the time, is go, okay, I'm being changed and now I need the body and I want to focus all my time on what it means to be a part of the church. And there are actual statistics out there that say the longer someone is a Christ follower, the less and less they know people who don't know Jesus because they spend all their relational time around other believers. And if our focus is only on being the family, then we once again miss out on part of what it means for us to be called to be the church. We find ourselves at no better than the Jewish church that Paul was criticizing. The Jewish church that said, you have to look like us to be a part. The Jewish church that was excluding people that weren't willing to become Jewish before they became Christ followers. The Jewish church that that was mandating these special rules upon people that said you have to look like us and talk like us and believe like us and behave like us. And how often do we land at that same place because we get past the individual thing and then we come to the church piece and we have all of our focus on the body. Sorry. And if you aren't exactly like... Us, there's something wrong and you don't get to be a part of us. We push people out who don't look the part, play the role, agree on everything. And yet the call of Ephesians, the call of Paul, the call of Christ was far different than than that. The invitation that we see in the scriptures over and over again from Jesus is that all are welcome. The invitation of the church is to be come follow Jesus with us. That's where we're going. Come join us. Everyone come join the family. Be a part of what we're doing and where we're going. So as individuals, we buy into this commitment of whole life discipleship. We're each being formed all the time in everything that we do. And then we're brought together with the body of Christ, others on the same journey. So we invest in the life of the family and what it means to be committed to one another as we journey together. And then it brings us to this place of missional living. So the passage I read sounds real kind of rules-based and do this and don't do that and behave this way and don't behave that way. What happens if we read that passage with a missional living slant? If instead of it just being about individual faith or instead of it being about the church body living together, it becomes this place of individual faith growing, church body living together. We're called, therefore, to be missional people. What happens differently if we read that passage thinking about it with a missions understanding of being a missional people? Now, what do we mean when we say missions? Does it mean that everyone has to go to Africa? Does it mean that everyone has to, every time they meet a stranger, share with them some type of three or four or five point synopsis of what it means to follow the gospel? That every time we meet someone, it is our responsibility to persuade them to love Jesus, to be baptized, to join a church. And if somehow we don't get that done, we failed and therefore we're not missional enough. I don't think any of those are actually what it means to be missional. They're all displays of what it means to do missions, perhaps. But missions, I think, needs to be defined more broadly because missions at its core is this. It is our effort to communicate to others that they are loved by Jesus. Now, is that definition broad? Yes, But I would argue that too often our missional definitions are too narrow. We have brought them in too small. You see, at Valley, we are all called to be missional people. We ask you to commit to this practice if you're going to be a full participant in who we are. Now, does that mean we're all going to go to Africa? It doesn't. I think you should. But that's not what it means. Does it mean that every single one of us tomorrow are going to introduce someone to Jesus for the first time and they're going to choose to become a Christ follower and make a first time commitment to walk with Jesus because of our interaction with them tomorrow? No, I don't think that's what it means for us to be missional. It would be spectacular. It would be awesome, it would be great if that was something that happened in our life all the time, if that was something that we were deeply committed to, that we had happening frequently. But I don't think that that means that it's going to happen every time. I also don't think that that is what it means necessarily for us to be missional. But I think it does mean this. It does mean that you and I are intentional to communicate to other people that they are loved by Jesus. And that we are called to do that every single day. That every single day we're called to the place of communicating to someone else that they are deeply loved by the Savior. And that it should happen in every piece of our life, in everything that we do. And it should happen both with our neighbors and with people on the other side of the world. That this should be a part of our life all of the time. We should be thinking this way and living this way and interacting this way. So yes, this summer some of us are going to Zambia because that is a piece of what it means to be a missional people. But it also means that all of us should be striving to make sure that tomorrow... We are in some way communicating with someone that they are deeply loved by Jesus. And there's a multitude of ways in which we can get that done. Perhaps the way you do so is is simply by praying with someone who you come in contact with, who you can see is hurting. So you show them love and you pray with them and for them. Maybe it's something as simple as leaving a really big tip at a restaurant that you go to today. To communicate, I want you to know that I love you because Jesus loves you. Maybe it's taking care of a sick family member is the way that you do it. Maybe it's sitting beside a hospital bed. Maybe it's actually from the hospital bed is how you communicate to another person that they're loved by Jesus. Maybe, yes, it's sharing with another person how Jesus is transforming your life and wants to bring transformation to their life. Maybe it's through sharing your lunch in the cafeteria with someone else. Maybe it's through trying to be a friend to that jerk in your workplace who nobody wants to be around. But you decide that you will find a way to love them. To care for them, to communicate to them that they are loved by Jesus. The list is endless. We could go on and on and on, but sometimes our limited definitions of what it means for us to be missional keeps us from doing anything. At the same time, sometimes our definitions that are too broad keep us from actually being intentional. Because just being good to people isn't being missional. Being missional is communicating to other people. It's sharing with other people that they are loved by Jesus. Now, not only through our words. We do that through our actions. We do that through our behaviors. We do that through our responses. We do that through our relationships. But it must be about communicating the love of Jesus. Not just being good to somebody. Lots of people are good to somebody who don't know anything about Jesus. Being missional means that Jesus is bringing this about in us and that we desire to communicate to others that they are loved by Christ. Now, yes, the line between the two is incredibly thin. But it comes back to our intention. It comes back to our heart for Jesus. It comes back to our kingdom thinking, to the transformation that has happened in us. Actually, I want to give you an assignment. You ready? Today... We invite you after this moment to step into the classrooms that are behind me right now and to join one of our small groups, to join the conversation that's taking place in there. And I want to encourage you as you're in your small groups to talk about the difference between what it means to be missional and what it means just to be good to other people. And to talk about specific ways in which you could commit to being missional tomorrow. Or this week. Specific people who you could decide, this is a way that I'm going to live out missional living this week. Have a conversation in as practical a way as you can today as you think about what does this mean? How do I do this? I think this section in Ephesians is not at all about legalism, but is 100% about missional living. I think it is 100% about the calling that the church must live transformed lives because the Holy Spirit has made us new in the midst of people who are still far from God. So these behaviors are laid out because transformed people begin to look different and act different and work different. We communicate to others that they are loved by Jesus. We communicate that Jesus changes lives and Jesus loves other people so deeply that he wants to change their life too. Chapter 5, verse 2, it says this. "says live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. He loved us. And offered himself as a sacrifice for us. A pleasing aroma to God. And then in the end of verse 8 of chapter 5 it says, So live as people of light. So Paul said, how do you be missional people? Stop lying. Stop stealing. Stop it with all this bitterness and rage and anger and harsh words. Stop sleeping around. Stop looking at pornography. Stop flirting with this person in the workplace, man or woman, who isn't your spouse. Stop it. Stop it. Stop it. Because you've been called to be transformed people, missional among a people who are still far from God. These obscene stories and obscene jokes. No, get rid of them because that's not what it means to live transformed. If you're married, love your wife. If you're married, love your husband, serve each other, submit to each other is what Paul is crying out about. Missional living. In fact, in our Emotionally Healthy Spirituality stuff that we've looked at, the Scazzeros go so far to say, if you're a married person, your marriage should be your loudest gospel message to the world. Now, I don't know about you, but the first time I heard that, it was like, ooh, wow. Nothing should communicate the love of Christ more boldly than the way that I love Callie and show that to all of the people who are watching us. If you're married, your marriage should be your loudest gospel message. I think that's the proclamation of Paul. I think that's the proclamation of Jesus. If you're single, that doesn't let you off the hook. It means that the relationships that you're in proclaim the gospel. The friendships that you have, the breadth of opportunity that you have to interact with other people are communicating the gospel all the time. Paul says, how do we how do we be transformed people? How do we be missional? It continues into chapter 6, which we didn't read. He says, be kind to your children says, children, obey your parents. And he goes on and on and on. Paul says we be missional people by living differently. We live differently because we've been changed by Christ. We live differently because people need to see transformed lives. We live differently because people need to know that they are loved by Jesus. We live differently because people need to see Jesus' love in us coming out to others. We live differently because Jesus, the Holy Spirit, being involved in our church, has made us new. We live differently because we want others to come and join us in the way of Jesus. We live differently because we have made commitments to whole life discipleship. To investment in the Valley family and to missional living among our neighbors in the nations. In the book of Ephesians, Paul says that we are called to missional living in everything we do. We're called to speak transformation in the grace of God through our words and our actions. Our behaviors, our relationships, our responses to other people. Because we have been transformed by the Holy Spirit. And because of our transformed lives, we feel compelled to communicate to our neighbors and the nations. That they are deeply loved by Jesus. That they can experience new life. Through the Savior. That they are welcome. Among the family of God. In this place. Come follow Jesus. With us. Would you pray with me? Precious Savior, give us a deep, burning desire to be in your presence. And as we do so, bring transformation in us. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, make of us the new creation you have promised you long for us to be. And as we experience life as new creation, compel us to be a people who bring others along on that journey. Help us get our eyes off ourselves. Help us get our eyes outside of just our family. And help us have eyes for those who are not yet Walking with you as a part of a body. Make of us missional people. So that we can join you in restoring, in redeeming, in recreating your world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.